I don't mean to say that sacrilegiously here. You see the title of the message tonight here. This is yesterday's Bible reading passage of Scripture, Numbers chapter 7. And uh, so I read it yesterday, obviously, and uh, I've read it for at least 36, 37 times in my life, probably more than that. I've never heard a message on number 7 in my entire life. I've preached thousands of messages. I've never preached a message on it yet, to my knowledge, to my recollection, that is. And I've never heard a message on number 7. And I doubt if anybody thinks they've heard a message on number 7, maybe you haven't. Brother Dave, you have. And uh, you're probably the only one, to be honest with you. So, so it'll be message number 2, maybe. So we'll see. Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, for time's sake, let's allow me to read the scripture, but follow along as I read, please, and we'll spot read 10 verses of scripture. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both of the, the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered offered. And they brought their offering unto the, before the Lord six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. For time's sake, let's skip over to verse number, uh, verse number 12 and let's read to verse 17. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger, the weight thereof was 130 in shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the, of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense. One young bullock, one young one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nashan, the son of Aminadab. And for time's sake, we could skip verses 18 to 88. And look at verse 89, the last verse of the chapter. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation uh, to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him. May God especially the reading of his word. I've entitled the message, in fact, I thought several times I shouldn't title the message this way. I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but I did it anyhow. Why? The boring parts of the Bible. Now, I know that it's not very spiritual to even say that, of course, and some of you might, I don't hope, I hope nobody's offended here by me saying that. But Numbers 89 is one of the longest chapters of the Bible. It's also one of the, if we're honest with ourselves, one of the most boring passages of Scripture for folks like us or folks like me that maybe aren't as spiritual as they should be from time to time. And I asked the question in way of introduction this, this evening here. Uh, is, it, is it not important? Is this chapter not important? There's a lot of boring chapters in the Bible, to be honest with you, in the Old Testament especially, it seems like. Why is it there? We could ask that question. Why, why is this the scripture here? Is there something that God has for us or has for me? Does God have something for you tonight in this message tonight? I believe he does. Um, I, I 
decided I wanted to preach on this message, uh, this passage tonight, because I know there's something in here. As I was reading yesterday, I said, God, what do you have for me? I'm not a Levite. I'm not a Jew. I'm not, a Gentile, I'm not an Old Testament saint. I'm a New Testament saint. What do you have for me? And I want to remind you that 1 Corinthians 10, 11 reminds us that now, now all these things, talking about the things, the events of the Old Testament, happened unto them for in samples, and they were, were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are, are come. So God has something for us in the Old Testament. We sometimes say we're New Testament Christians. Well, that's, I understand that in the context. That's true. We are New Testament Christians. We're part of the age of grace, and we're part of the church age, and that's all true, and we're part of the local New Testament Assembly of God. We're not part of Israel. But Old Testament is still pertinent to us. We may not be covenant in our theology per se, but uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so I want to go real fast through the first section. If you notice, we get a smaller font for the introductory comments in regards to... Uh, I want you to note three things here. I just had three R's just re- printed for you so you didn't have to write them down. Notice the repetition. Back to verse 12, verse 12 through 17, and I won't read them again, but we see basically... Uh, verses 19 through 23 and et cetera, et cetera. We see these, these six verses 12 times in this passage of Scripture. We see this repetitiveness uh, over and over and over again. 12 times God says, and uh, we read identical verses to verse 13, which would be verse uh, 19 and verse 20. You can just glance and see what I'm saying. Most of you already know this. Verse 25, verse 31, verse 37, you get the idea. And these verses are all re- repetitious. Uh, we notice the recording, uh, the recording of this chapter here. Verse number 12, verse 18, verse 24, verse 30. Just generally glance at verse 12. It talks about the first prince of the tribe of Judah. And then in verse number 18, it talks about the second prince of the tribe of uh, Issachar. And the third prince, and the, on, on the third day in verse 24, and you get the rest of the you get the rest of the gist of the story. But the recordings of the twelve princes of each tribe are recorded in Scripture. So we see the repetition of this chapter. We see the recording in this chapter. But then we notice the reminder. And uh, so I'm reading this. I mean, this is not like reading John chapter 10. This is not like reading Romans chapter 8. And I want to remind us, and let's quote, most of us know, many of us, you should know, and commit it to memory if you haven't memorized it already, but 2 Timothy 3.16, can you quote it with me? Let's try it together. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now we'll quote verse 17 in a minute here, but notice, first of all, the reminder that all scripture, let's be reminded tonight that all scripture is given by inspiration. And inspiration, that, that the Greek word is the word theonoustos, it means God breathes. And God, God breathed the word of God into to man, and he spoke the word of God. The word of God is what I call a theanthropic, or what's been called a theanthropic uh, 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 union. It's all, the word of God is all man, uh, excuse me, all God, theos. It's all from the Holy Spirit of God, every single word. But it's all written by man. Every word was written by man. And uh, Jesus Christ himself is the, the, the God-man, we call him. He's, he was all, all 100% God, but he was all man. 
And yes, it's true. People say, well, the Bible's written by men. You're, you're right. You're right. The Bible was written by men, uh, some 41 different men, 42 different men, over three continents, over 1,600 years, over th- with three different languages. That's all true. But every single word was inspired by God Almighty. It's inspired. And so um, this is familiar territory to most of you. So what, what do we mean by inspired? Well, it's, it's infallible. Psalm 119 and one, verse 160, the Bible says, the word, the, the word is, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It's infallible. It's without error. Uh, it's, uh, in, it's, it's printed. It's, it has man's words in it in regards to what man said. It is said it's in, it's in complete 100% accuracy. So it's infallible. It's the first uh, letter A. It's uh, Psalm 12, 6, and 7. In fact, Brother Dave, I think he quoted these verses uh, Sunday in his uh, Bible study, of course, we're on the Word of God here. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so the words are, the, we believe in the Bible teaches that the, God's Word is inspired, it's infallible, it's true every word of it. And the, not just the thoughts of it are inspired, but the very words, the very words of God are inspired in, uh, uh, in the Bible. And that word plenary means extending to all parts alike. What do I mean by that? Well, let, me, let me say it this way in our context that we're looking at tonight. That, that Numbers chapter 7 is just as much as inspired, just as much of the word of God as John 3.16 is, and all God's people said. It's, it's all God's word. And so it's, it's verbal, it's plenary, it's, it's an incorruptible. 1 Peter 1.23, and I'm going fast on purpose because I want to get to the meat of the messages per se. But in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter 1.23, the Bible says, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And so the word of God is incorruptible. Uh, it's eternal. 1 Peter 1.24 says, uh, For all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of our Lord endureth forever, or the word of the Lord endureth forever. It's eternal. And Psalm 119, and verse, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This book has always been, like Jesus has always been. This book has always been. It's, been, it's never had a beginning, per se. And uh, it's been this eternal word of God. There's no time with God. It's always been the word of God as, as we know it. And God's, it's God's mind concerning everything that he wants us to know, of course, in regards to eternity. And uh, so we see that God's word is it's inspired. That means number seven is inspired. It's infallible. It's verbal. It's plenary. Every word is there for a purpose. It's incorruptible. It's eternal. And then... We quoted 2 Timothy 3.16 again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. And so write down the word profitable. All scripture is profitable. For Then it tells us what it's profitable for. It's for doctrine or teaching. And uh, didache, we're, we're teaching the word of God. We're line by line, precept upon precept. It's profitable for teaching. Uh, for, for Profitable for, for doctrine, for correction. Uh, for, uh, for convicting, excuse me, for con- letter B, for convicting, it convicts us. For the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. There it is, I'm sorry. Uh, the word of God reproves us, it convicts us. The word of God corrects us for correction. 
And so this is profitable for correcting. And it's profitable for maturing us or completing us. Verse 17, we didn't quote verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly, old English word, throughly furnished unto all good works. And it's, it's, it's meant there to, to, to mature us, to bring us, to complete us, to bring us to, to, bring us to, to, to be like Christ, of course. And so the word of God, and we need it every day in our lives. It's our daily manna. It's our food. So with that said, knowing that number seven is just as inspired as any other verse in the Bible, why do we have all this repetition? Why do we have all this recording that means nothing to us. These names that some of them, some of them we can't pronounce. And then, uh, well, we remind ourselves that the word of God is inspired. Well, let me give you what we can learn tonight. Several things as I perused and I thought about, well, God, what do you have for me as I sped read, pardon the slang, as I was speed reading my Bible yesterday as, uh, to get through my Bible reading. And, uh, and I kind of felt convicted about it because read verse 13 and then verse 20 and verse 26 and whatever... They're all, they're all the same verses, and you can almost memorize them. Uh, I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'll just tell you. We, when we, uh, we used to get points in vacation Bible school for memorizing verses, and, and so uh, uh, they didn't make rules. They didn't think to make these rules, and so one of my smart, uh, uh, in fact, Brother Dave, I'll blame you, the Bob Jones University guy, but, <laughs> and, uh, he, and so we memorized, I remember we memorized verse like 14, one spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense, and then we memorized verse number 20, uh, 21, or 20, one spoon of gold and silver, full, shekels full of incense. And we had 12 verses memorized, of course. We added to our count, of course. And the kids, you know, what you do, of course. And, uh, but uh, so what, do we, what can we learn as I thought about it? And uh, I said, well, from this text, we learned, that, first of all, that the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is a God of details. He's a God of details. In Exodus 35, chapter 35, that is, to Exodus 39, in the construction of the, the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, and many other chapters in, our, in Exodus and, of course, Leviticus and throughout in Deuteronomy, the repeating of the law and so forth, we see much repetition. We get to Ezekiel and we see the building of the millennial temple and, and uh, we see this great attention to details. And, and uh, I want you to notice the details that we see in this, just a couple details we see in this chapter. Look at verse 5. Take it to them, Lord spake to Moses in verse number 4, that they, they may do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites. They were the main, uh, they were the only tribe that were to deal with the tabernacle itself. And it says, to every man according to his service. And um, they had, every man, according to the Bible says, according to their service. In the New Testament, God has gifted men in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and some teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints. He gives, he gives gifts unto men. God, uh, God has details in regards to the organization and the ministry of his church. And he gives us all, he gives us all, he gives us all different gifts, by the way. And... Uh, Verse number 11, look at verse number 11 for time's sake. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offering, each prince on his day, uh, on a particular day. It reminds me of the New Testament. On the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16 says, that we should come together and have the collection, the offering. And uh, we were in, John was on the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
there's uh, specific days and we have specific times where we, memorize, we, we commemorate and we, 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 we hold up high. We have a day in the spring. We call it Easter. We call it Resurrection. I like it to call it Resurrection Sunday. We know that every Sunday for the Christian is Resurrection Sunday. It's true. But I'm glad we have a Sunday in the springtime where we commemorate the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day, of course. And, and so, but God is the God given to details. And uh, we see that in this chapter. It's so detailed, right down to the, every single word. It's, uh, uh, and all the repetition, it's there on purpose. Then secondly, what can we learn from this number seven? This is one of the longest chapters in the Old Testament. And that is simply this, that the work of God is important. It's important. It's the most important thing that there is. Uh, through uh, tonight, I was talking to Brother John Beers, uh, our financial uh, accountant, uh, yesterday, and we were talking. They do about 64 churches or 66 churches. They do their books for full time. And I was asking of you know, the state of the church in North New, New England, and they do churches all the way out to Colorado for that matter, and, but most are in New England and the Northeast and so forth. And I said, what's the state of the church? And uh, you could probably pretty much guess uh, what he said to me, of course, and, uh, but uh, uh, that the, the numbers are, are waning a little bit, but the word, word of God is important. And the work of God is important, excuse me. And... Uh, very specific instructions are given to the Old Testament worship and the tabernacle worship, of course. Uh, every phase of the tabernacle worship was, is given instruction to how to build the tabernacle. We got chapters on that. What to build with, what materials to use. Uh, what, to, what should we do, uh, or who should do it, or who should build it, or how should it be done. Uh, minute descriptions of the types of sacrifices. In fact, the entire book of Leviticus is an instruction book on the, 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 the sacrifices, of course, all the different sacrifices and how they were to be given and so forth. God is a God of detail, and the work of God is very important. It involves, and so understand, it involves several things, A, B, C, D. The work of God is important. It involves, first of all, finances. Uh, it talks about verses 13 and 14 and 15. It talks about silver vessels and then, of course, the gold spoons and uh, it's expensive uh, offerings, of course. And verses 12 to 14 talks about the offerings. Verses 15 to 17 talks about the sacrifices. A whole bunch of animals are going to have to give their lives for the sacrifice. Uh, and um, the word of, work of God involves, sacrifice, involves finances. Uh, Exodus 35 and verse number 5, the Bible says, speaking about the building of the tabernacle, the Lord said, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is a willing heart, let him bring it in an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And that's expensive stuff. That's the most precious of metals. God says, I want you to bring an offering. And God wanted his people to sacrifice. And here we see the 12 tribes and these 12 princes of these tribes and what they had to give. And uh, was it, a, it wasn't cheap stuff. It was, uh, wasn't from dollar dollar store. This is from... Uh, High end. This is Lord and Taylor's. This is Macy's. This is this is high end stuff, uh, uh, for sure. And so God says that the work of God is important. So it involves finances, sacrificial finances. It involves something else. It involves giving our best, our first. And we see the lamb that they were to give was to be the first year. Exodus chapter twelve, verse number five. 
the lamb was, that they were to give at the Passover was to be without blemish. Couldn't have any blemish on it. Had to be male of one year. Had to be the best, best lamb you had. And, uh, and you needed to give that, you give your best to the master, the song says. And we need to give our best, not our leftovers. And uh, there's the idea of uh, some people give, if there's any time left over, they give it to the Lord. Uh, I know this, that uh, I'm thinking of certain, somebody just popped in my head. Uh, I think they're a Christian. The more I think about it, I, I've said they're a Christian for the last 20, 30 years of my life, but I, I'm really beginning to wonder if they ever really, really got saved like I got saved, because when I got saved, God changed me. And God put a new change in my heart and so forth. And all these years, they claim to be a Christian, but they never have time for God, but they always have time for work. They've had time for work for for 70, 60, 70, 80 hours a week for their, most of their life, of course, and they have time for play. And uh, they have time for all those things, but they never have time for God. Something's wrong with that picture. And uh, we, I remember hearing words like, uh, if I get time, I'll get there. Well, he haven't got time for the last 30 years. I doubt if you'll have time in the next 30 years. And uh, these, they had to give their best to the Lord. The work of God's important. They had to give their finances and their sacrifices to the Lord. Then thirdly, what does this chapter teach us? The work of God is important because it involves order. There's order we see here. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, that all things be done decently and in order. In First uh, Corinthians 11, we see that the children of Israel, or pardon me, the church in Corinth was messing up on the Lord's Supper. And God said, and Paul said, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he said, um, you know, you're, you're out of order. You're doing this wrong. And then he, he gave us those words to, uh, how should we do the Lord's Supper? And uh, how, uh, what should we do it for? This doing remembrance to me on our front communion table here, of course. There's an order to the work of God. Uh, there's an order. God doesn't want chaotic services. And, uh, and everyone has a job to do. Um, I was glad for the record. Look at verse number, verse number seven for time's sake here. Uh, the children of Gershon, they were one of the three uh, divisions of the, the Levite family. Uh, they, they got two wagons and four, or two, two wagons and four oxen for their, their ministry. And then the children of Merari, verse number eight, they got four wagons and eight oxen for their ministry. But the children of Kohath, who carried the actual furniture for the tabernacle, uh, they, were, they didn't get any oxen and any carts because they were to bear, they were, God called them to bear their, the, the furniture on their shoulders. So God had a specific way and a specific order for each person to do their job and their ministry. Aren't you glad that I didn't sing Sunday morning and uh, that Brittany and Eric sang Sunday morning? Aren't you glad that I didn't play the piano Sunday morning and Brother Dave played the piano Sunday morning? And aren't you glad, uh, I'm glad that uh, Brother Adam and Brother uh, Andrew or whoever it is does, does the offering. And I'm glad that Brother Tim does and uh, Sister Ann does the cleaning of the church and Sister Lynn and I could go on and on and on. Everybody's got a job to do. And God's got an order and a design, and there's work for everybody to do. And so we see this in this chapter. There's, it's, the work of God's important, and it's an order. It involves order. It involves giving our best, giving our first, of our first fruits. It involves our finances. Then it involves a willing heart. It involves a willing heart. First Chronicles 28 and 9, verse 9 says, 
And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father, know, the, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And so the Lord knows our hearts. Uh, I've quoted it many times. I fell in love with that little phrase uh, from one of the early church fathers. Christianity is largely an affair of the heart. It begins in the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth's confession is made unto salvation. You can go through the motions uh, of Christianity without being a Christian. But uh, uh, Lord, I want to be a Christian, as the song says, in my heart, in my heart. There's where it all begins. Everything is from the heart. And God wants a, a people that doesn't serve him with their lips, but with their heart as well. And he wanted this, in the case of Bezalel and Oholiab in Exodus, uh, the master builders of the, the tabernacle, they, were hard, they were, had willing hearts, and God used them. We would go to Nehemiah, and we could talk about the Tekoites, and uh, they, they had willing hearts, and they, used, they did their job. They built their section of the wall, and they built another section of the wall. Nobles put not their backs to the work, the Bible says. But, so God wants to use no, heart, willing-hearted people. So the work of God, number one tonight, what does the Lord, the, the, pardon me, the Lord is the God of details. The, the work of the Lord is important. But number three, what does this chapter of Numbers teach us, among other things? This is not an exhaustive list for sure. I just have five of them. The Lord's work is a holy work. It's a holy work. Sometimes we just reference to the old. We think the Old Testament is going to be holy in the New Testament. Old Testament and the New Testament, we get away with grace. We we get to live any way we want to because uh, we're, we're we abound with grace, God's grace. That's 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 misapplication of. That's not true. That's wickedness. God called us to be holy too, and uh, the work of God is holy. Two things about the work of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 verse 5 we see Moses comes and he meets God at the burning bush and, and he says take off thy shoes from uh, thy foot for the place where in the sand is his holy ground there needs to be a reverence of his presence uh, uh, just <laughs> have a little bit of fun because it kind of cracks me up here some of you might have coffee in your hands right now I don't know some of you might have water I, when we first moved in our services and it used to be no beverages in the auditorium, period. And uh, we tried to enforce that. It was like trying to enforce, uh, you know, uh, COVID mandates, of course, uh, to us, us rebels. It doesn't work, of course. And so I just gave up on it after a while. I just gave, it was like, but I remember going to church in, uh, uh, I was in a big church down south many years ago, and uh, several thousand people in church, and, uh, and uh, they, they, they expect you to come in and sit down and be quiet and read your Bible and not in... Then I've been in other churches where people are having a party almost before the service. It's more like our church, of course, and so forth. But the, the work of God is a holy work. When the, ch the children of Israel were to do the tabernacle work, or rather the, the Levites were to do the work in the tabernacle, there was no speaking. And when they were in the holy place, in the holy of holies, of course, and they never spoke. And, and uh, there's a reverence of his presence uh, we're coming to the presence of the Lord. This is, uh, we call this, and, and I know this is a misnomer, and you, you understand I'm talking to veteran Christians tonight here. Uh, we know where the sanctuary of the Lord is. It's in our hearts, right? Of course it is. The tabernacle is God is within us, of course. But we call, sometimes we call this the sanctuary. We call it the auditorium. It's a room. 
but it's where we meet with God. And it's a special place. And uh, I think the piano is a special instrument. I don't want a honky-tonk, uh, 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 I can think of some, pardon me, some rock and, reek song, rock and roll songs, excuse me. I can sing, think of some songs of this world. That, that's panels dedicated to the work of the Lord, the music of the Lord. It's not meant to be used for other things. And, uh, and, and so I think there's, we need to have a reverence of his presence. And letter B, a respect of his request. Uh, he asked for a specific offering, evidently, from these 12 tribes. And uh, in Numbers chapter 3, verse number 4, Nadab and Abihu, if you go back there, just glance at it. I don't think I wrote it down. Numbers 3, 4, they died before the Lord. And uh, when they offered strange fire to the Lord, they said, well, we're going to offer the fire the way we want to offer it. And God had a specific way that the offering was supposed to be offered, and God killed them. Uh, in Genesis 4, and chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says one of the first offerings we see in the Bible. In fact, it is the first offering. Uh, no, the second offering. I take that back. First offering is when the Lord slew the animal to clothe uh, Adam and Eve. But the Bible says, in Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and unto his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell, of course. There's a way to serve God, and there's a way not to serve God. I've got to be careful here, and I don't want to, I'm going to run a quick rabbit trail. Uh, we are pretty conservative. In fact, we're really conservative in our Christian music. I appreciate, again, pardon me for picking on you, Brother Dave, tonight here, of course, but I appreciate the fact uh, that Brother Dave plays a great piano, of course, and uh, is very conscientious about the songs he plays and so forth. I'm glad about that. And I am too, of course, and so forth. And, uh, but I don't want to pretend, I don't want to insinuate that uh, we always do everything right and we, the songs that we sing are the right songs and that anybody sings different songs than we sing, they're, they're wrong or they're... They're compromising. I, I don't. I don't want to go down that road per se. But there's. There's. With that said, there's. There's a music that I believe that reaches the soul. And there's music that reaches the flesh. And there's. 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 You got to be able to have a spirit of discernment. And not all Christian music is Christian music. Is what I'm trying to say. And and um, it takes a, a spirit of of of. of uh, discernment to understand that. And uh, Nadab and Bahu said, we can do it this way. We can do it our way. God will be pleased with it. God wasn't very pleased with it. Uh, Cain said, I can do it my way. Like uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, I did it my way. And God wasn't pleased with his offering. And uh, number four here, I've got to hurry along here. Let me give you a fourth truth as I perused and uh, ask God, to, His Holy Spirit, to teach me what He was trying to teach us, or maybe teaching us by this Numbers chapter seven, this so-called boring chapter. Well, uh, I think number four, I learned that doing the Lord's work is an honor. It's an honor. Uh, his servants will never be forgotten. Think about this: this guy named this guy named Nashon, verse number twelve. He's the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. Their names are in the word of God forever and ever and ever. Brother uh, Andrew Phipps, I don't care what you think about Mike, Mike Pence. I know some of you are not too big of Mike Pence fans nowadays, but that's okay. 
But Brother Phipps is trying to write a book. He's in, in, he's gonna, in his book, he's going to chronicle, he's going to talk about Mike Phipps, uh, Mike Pence, rather, and he wants to have a line in there about Marty Schott. I says, well, I get a, I get a book read in, in, with my name in it with the same, with, it has the Vice President of the United States in the, in the, the book as well. I said, wow, that's a big deal. And uh, I know the pride of life, of course, you know. I said, well, what an honor to be in a book with uh, my name and Mike Pence's name, you know, equals, you know, right. And uh, I'm being facetious and being funny here, of course, but uh, I'm trying to be anyhow. But uh, his servants will not be forgotten. And uh, God has a, Hebrews uh, 6 and verse 10, God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor and love and that we have ministered to saints and do minister. Uh, our names will not be forgotten. Letter B, his servants will be famous forever. And uh, Daniel 12, verse 3, of course, the Bible says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, I, I'm going to name a name here just for the record, and I'm probably the only one besides, uh, uh, I think, Adam and uh, uh, um, Jeremy. Or you might be the only ones, maybe Paul, I don't know, but uh, Cooper Cup. And uh, I couldn't help myself. I, I, I was a bad boy. I, I watched something Sunday night. I watched the Super Bowl. I, I, and I fell back into my old habits, and, and uh, I watched the Super Bowl. And Cooper Cup was the MVP of the Super Bowl. I didn't know who Cooper Cup was. I heard his name a few weeks ago for the first time in my life. And... Uh, he was. He got the MVP award. He had a spectacular season. He he beat Jerry Rice's record for for uh, catches for a wide receiver. He he, uh, he had over 2,000 yards of catches this year, the, the, the highest number of yards for any receiver in NFL history. He won the triple crown for receivers. It's only been done four times since 1970. That's 52 years. And he's already the youngest receiver to, uh, to eclipse J- J- Jerry Rice and all the other receivers. And he, uh, he said this before the game. He said, Christian, I didn't know that. And I, he said, Be, beyond all the games that we won, beyond all the honors and accolades, I've just had so much fun being able to play this game, Cooper Coop continued. My motivation coming into every single day is to run the race in such a way that honors God and the passions and the talents that he has given me. And when I'm rooted in that, I am in a great place. I'm able to play freely. I'm able to love my teammates. I'm able to be a better man, a better football player, a better husband, a better father. By the way, this, I know this, this is just amazing to me. He wasn't drafted by any college out of high school. He, didn't, he, he was a walk-on at a low-life college in Washington State. And he's, he became the NFL, or he almost became the MVP of the 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 entire year for the NFL, of course, and he's MVP of the Super Bowl. And um, after the game, this is, and I, I saw it several times, but uh, uh, he's the post-game press conference. Here's what he said in front of everybody. He's holding his son on his lap, and uh, he said these words here um, to ESPN. I don't know what it was. There was just this vision that God revealed to me that we were going to come back. We were going to be a part of a Super Bowl, uh, they were in the Super Bowl three years ago, and he got injured, and he didn't get to play. Uh, and we are going to win it. And somehow, I was going to walk off the field as MVP of the game. And I shared that with my wife. This is three years ago. 
uh, because I couldn't tell anyone else, obviously, what, what, the, what, what that was. But from the moment this postseason started, there was just a belief in every game. It was written already, and I just had to go out to play free, knowing that I got to play for, from victory, not for victory. And uh, he has a crown merchandise cap with 1 Corinthians 9.25 on it. Uh, uh, they do obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Uh, devout Christian, his daddy played NFL football. His uh, grandfather played NFL football. All devout Christians and they put Jesus first in their life. I said all that to say, and I spent a long time. And, uh, you know, superstar in the world of sports, uh, Cooper Cup, what a name. And, uh, and uh, yet the Bible says that God has his stars that will shine as the brightness of the stars forever and ever. That brings me to the last truth. Go to verse number 89 of the chapter. And look what it says. After they did all the offering, now they did everything in order. They did it importantly. They did it with, uh, they did it with their finances, the best of their finances. They did it with the, their, 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 gave their first fruits. They, they, they did, gave it their best, their first. They did it in the, the right order on each day, the proper person. They did it with a willing heart. They served God knowing that he's a holy God with reverence in his presence, the respect of his, for his request. They, they knew that they were honored in doing the Lord's work. Their names are not forgotten. They're, they're famous. Their words are penned in Scripture forever and ever and ever. They're in the hall of fame of the word of God forever. But notice verse number 89. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then... He heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat and was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims and he spake unto him. Notice that the Lord is pleased with true worship. The Lord is pleased with true worship. Hebrews 13 and verse number six, 16. For with, for with, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased, of course. God is pleased when we, when we worship him in spirit and in truth we worship him in holiness, when we worship him the way he calls us to worship him and instructs us. He tells us to come on the first day of the week to worship him. That's the Lord's day. Uh, and we come in, we come in, with a, in reverence and we come in order. God's well pleased with that. And so we can learn something from uh, the boring parts of the Bible as well as the so-called exciting parts of the Bible. And the truth be told, there really are no boring parts of the Bible. They're just boring parts to some of us unspiritual uh, natural, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, but us that are saved, we, we thank God for his goodness to us. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, help us to serve you with a pure heart fervently, dear God. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of, uh, uh, of serving you tonight, Lord, in this Wednesday night service. And Lord, that you, you love us and that we, we can be in your service together, dear God. So help us to serve you tonight, we pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing just one verse of trust and obey tonight. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he shed.